Okay, I think we're good. Recording, yep. Yeah, do you wanna take it away? Sure. Welcome everyone. So it's Friday, which means it has now become the day for recording the Tokyo Jazz Joints podcast. This is episode three. Thanks for all the listens on SoundCloud, on podcasts and on Spotify. Thanks for the nice comments as well. We've got some nice feedback from you. So we're going to push on, uh, keep recording the series uh, and hopefully you'll enjoy this week's episode. Um, if you're listening in 20 years time, and you're thumbing through the Tokyo Jazz Joints coffee table book. Um, we're currently in the middle of a lockdown in Dublin uh, uh, because of the coronavirus pandemic. James, what about you? Are you locked down yet or what's the crack? Definitely locked down, Philip. It's been uh, 15 days for me and starting to feel a little bit antsy. I certainly enjoy talking about Tokyo Jazz spots with you, but uh, definitely itching to get out visit one again soon if possible. I don't know how long it's going to be. They just officially put in an emergency here in the Tokyo metro area. So I've got a German beer and a Hank Mobley record to get to later on, uh, you know, to replace my usual uh, jazz spot wanderings. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's probably the one thing I miss about living here, actually. I mean, the one thing I really miss, people say, oh, do you miss Japan? Because I lived there for nearly 20 years. But uh I, there's of course there's things I miss about it, but I don't pine for it in that way. I don't wake up in the morning and think, oh God, I wish I'd never left. But I, I tell you, when I called you a few weeks back and you were in uh, Minton House and I could hear that, those tunes blasting out the speaker in the background, I felt suddenly very, very nostalgic and very far away from, from that whole scene. But um, anyway, today we're going to talk about um, some kind of milestones in the project. So um, we thought maybe uh, it'd be good to talk about the 50th place that we went to, the 100th place, which obviously a bit of a milestone, particularly as when we started, like we, we didn't know that we'd even get to 20. Uh, and the 150th place, and then um, the 160th place, which I photographed on my own, but it was on a more recent trip back to Japan since I had moved away from living there. Um, and um, all pretty unique places in their own way, um, as are most of the jazz joints. So let's, let's start with uh, the 50th place. So trawling through the social media there, back through Instagram, I discovered it was, a, it was Bar Bird in Machida. Uh, do you want to start and, and tell us a little bit about Bar Bird Machida? Because I hadn't known of it. Uh, you'd been there a few times, I think. So um, Yeah, yeah, so sure. Like, Machida is a, is a sort of a, you know, outer link, outer rink city uh, to the center of Tokyo, suburban a little bit. Um, not exactly the most fashionable place in the world, but, you know, I, I'd heard that there were a couple of good jazz spots there. Uh, so I went around one night and, and able uh, to find two of them, which were fantastic. And so once we started going out together, I was like, okay, we've got to take a trip down to, to Machida one night. Um, that's just something nobody in Tokyo would usually say, let's go to Machida on a Friday night. <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, Bar Bird is, is great. In the daytime, it's, it's a cafe. Um, it's got a beautiful decor. I mean, do you remember the wooden beams on yeah. the ceiling? Yeah, it's, it's almost a bit rustic, um, but, it, but a very sleek and clean place, not like a lot of the old dusty places. Um, and what I remember most about Bird is that it's interesting because it's named Jazz Bar Bird. So you think of Charlie Parker. Um, 
and Charlie Parker's on the sign, which I believe you've got a great photo of up on the site, right? Yeah. Um, but the owner is, uh, seems to be a, a tremendous fan of Art Pepper, and he's got all these photos and uh, signed album covers of Art Pepper all, all around the joint. And when Art came to Japan, I think he went to every night of the, uh, every night's show back in the 70s. Um, so that really stuck out to me. Um, and the other thing was that, and we've seen this a lot, right, Philip, where uh, the owner's kids don't tend to take over the shops when they yeah. retire. Which is kind of, a, I suppose, the reason why a lot of them are closing, isn't it? I mean, the, yeah. most of them have kids, but like we said, maybe in, in previous episodes, like the, these places are not places to make money. Uh, they're not particularly sociable places to work in the sense that the hours are late, you know, maybe. And definitely not healthy. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but at Bird, uh, yeah, the old, the old fellow's son, who's probably in his late 30s, um, is pretty much taking it over. They tend to alternate the afternoon and evening shifts. And I, I think when you and I went, we met the son. I met the old guy on a previous visit. Um, but it definitely had that kind of family vibe to it because they tended, uh, I, I noticed that they were speaking to the customers, very familiar, very, uh, casual Japanese. Yeah. It, w it wasn't a customer, you know, uh, master type of relationship there. It was very familiar. You yeah. Know? And they remembered me when we went that time to take the pictures. Yeah. Um, so basically it's just, the, I mean, it's, you know, it's your standard jazz joint you find all around Japan. But the fact that it's in that location really stuck mm. out to me because when you and I went out there, we had mostly been going to central places by that point, right? Yeah, and I think like, you know, for me, that kind of reminds me of that sort of classic period when we started it where like it was very much a Friday night thing. You get off work, I come meet you. And we'd tend to go to like a, a particular station or maybe like a couple of, you know, adjacent stations and we'd focus on two, three places, spend like an hour, an hour and a half in, in each of them. Um, and, um, you know, that, that kind of reminds me of one of those evenings in Barbird, they also have that, you can see it in the photos, very distinctive, um, uh, speaker system. And, um, like we're not, I'm not a particular audiophile. I mean, you, you probably know a little bit more and, and someone was asking on one of the platforms, you know, are we going to do one on the audio systems? And I think we definitely will, but we maybe need to bring in someone who's a bit of an expert on that because obviously yeah, for these sure, places, for sure. you know, our audio system is a big thing, but it, it has a very distinctive kind of red speaker, um, which we also saw in, in Meg over in Kichijoji. So you can, you can check that out in the photos, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, so that was Bar Bird. And that night we went to Herbie as well. Do you remember Herbie? Herbie? Yeah, that's right. And Herbie was a bit more of a Machida type vibe. Um, it was a basement bar yeah. in one of those buildings. And I, I think, you know, a lot of, maybe some of our listeners have not been to Japan, so they don't really understand how many bars you could have in one building in yeah. Japan. I mean, yeah. you can have like 20 or 30 because they're all so small. Down the hallway, you might see the sign for five or six tiny little bars. And Herbie was like that, the basement of one of these buildings mm. in, in very sleazy uh, part, part of... Uh, Machida on the other side of the train tracks from Bird. Bird is much more of a kind of a, you know, warm kind of, um, you know, comfortable vibe. And Mach uh, Herbie was much more of a basement, like hardcore drinking. Dive, yeah. Know? Not, that not was... the sort of place you go for your lunch. No, no, def definitely not. Yeah. Um, although the owner there was, he was really friendly. Yeah. I remember cause he wasn't from Tokyo either. He came, he came to the Tokyo region. And he opened the bar only about, I think, 10 years ago. Um, it was still kept running. And, and 
as the name says, he's got a, a gigantic, beautiful portrait of Herbie Hancock, right? That's now. right, yeah. And it's, they're pretty, it was pretty sparse. It's one of those places, I think it was, it was mostly sort of black, almost like a black box theater sort of vibe to it with a bar along the left-hand side. And I, I tend to remember a lot of the places in images, particularly the images that I've shot. So I, when I think of Herbie, I think of two images. I think of the very kind of a cold and sort of stark hallway where there's mm. just all the doors, nothing is open and, and it's just the signs. And then you, you obviously you have to open the door to go in um, on that basement uh, floor. And then I also remember, you know, kind of looking down the bar and, and that picture of Herbie at the end, sort of kind of quite, uh, quite subtly lit, almost a bit, bit reverential kind of, it's almost got like a sort of an altar kind of vibe to it. It's very cool. And the beautiful one at the back, of uh, a, a, a black and white portrait of Miles Davis playing yeah. on stage. That, yeah, that yeah, yeah. is just, again, it's sort of by itself with a spotlight on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, very sleek, but not like in a, in a pretentious sort of wine bar -y kind of way. Like, I mean, the, the music is, is the real thing there. So anybody who's in the Tokyo metro area, if you do find yourself down in uh, Machida, southwest of central Tokyo, you want to stop by these two joints. And then both of them highly recommend. You can check out all the photos of so Barbird um, and, and uh, Herbie. You can find those in the Tokyo section of the website. Um, we'll maybe put some links up to some of the photos um, uh, on the podcast uh, portal as well um, once it goes up on Sunday. We're going to start putting it out every Sunday. So if you're one of those people who, who likes a routine and likes a schedule, particularly at the minute, because we're all living for certain things every day, um, it'll go out Sundays at, at midday in, in um, UK and Ireland time. And I think that's 8 p.m at the moment in Japan. Um, right. What about the 100th place then? So kind of, uh, it's interesting because it's a it was a 100th place. And, and so obviously that's quite significant, you know, when you get to the century, but um, perhaps not the most spectacular place in itself, but it was called Kelly and it was kind of in the sort of blurrier part of, of a long evening in, in Sendai, which is a, a Northern city, probably if you're familiar at all with it, um, it's perhaps from the, the aftermath of, of the tsunami and the earthquake in 2011. Sendai was in the news quite a bit. It's quite a nice city. Um, and Kelly was there. And, and again, you mentioned these buildings. Again, you know, it was in one of these buildings where there's maybe five or six floors and possibly seven or eight tiny little bars on each of these floors. So you maybe got 50 or 60 bars in this building. So when you walk past it, unless you were looking for it or you knew about it, you certainly wouldn't be thinking, oh, jazz bar i mean there's nothing really from the sign that gives it away but we uh, we knew it was there so we went up and um it was kind of what i suppose they describe in japan as a snacku which is is just a very kind of like local style sort of down at home um bar which is often centered around the 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 owner uh, who kind of you know, puts the drinks out, makes snacks and bits of food. If, you, if you've ever seen, if, if anybody listening out there has seen Japanese, old Japanese movies, you'll know what a snack bar yeah. is. The, the mama-san is in a kimono. Every customer is a regular and they sing karaoke. Um, so, and sometimes they even play like jazz or light jazz in the background, but they're not a jazz bar because there's no record collection. Yeah. You know, it's just a local neighborhood bar. So I think when we went into Kelly, we kind of thought maybe at first you know was there some mistake but then we saw that you know he had all of the, the record albums and stuff even though it's a really really cramped place um he had the records and and he also had i think i was sitting next to a poster or sort of a, a cork board that had all these old concert ticket stubs yeah on it. i mean it's yeah. going from decades back right yeah i think i had a look at that this morning just to refresh my memory so there's 
there's Bob James on there. There's Frank Sinatra. There's Miles Davis. There's there's all sorts of um, you know eras of jazz. And um, yeah, I mean it's it just kind of again one of those insane amounts of just memorabilia that we've encountered in all these places and, and often just very casually stuck up on the wall or hanging above the cash register or or whatever i guess the the name was winton kelly was that the inspiration yes for it? it was definitely it was definitely winton kelly and he yeah. was playing he was playing that kind of like soul jazz type of yeah record when we went in and um but you mentioned about the gigs and the, and the ticket memorabilia i mean that's been a pretty common thing among a lot of the places we visited is if you get on if you get on a conversation about what gigs these owners saw back in the golden years, you know, in the sixties and seventies, it's just unbelievable because the, the gigs were not that expensive comparatively. You know, you would have thought that like bringing them over to Japan, it would have been really steep, but these, these guys used to go to gigs pretty much twice, three times a week. And they often keep the, um, what do you call it? Not the, the flyer, but like the Japanese would put out like a sort of a mini booklet or program you know yeah yeah really glossy from from these uh japan tours you know and they're often just lying around the cafes like yeah yeah well i remember like, that place up in um we'll, we'll talk about sapporo at a different time but that place that i went to that kohien i remember uh there's i think there was a coltrane the pamphlet that had uh, accompanied coltrane's uh, tour in 66 that was just there sitting like behind the chair that i was sitting on there was an art blakey one um, and, and, and yeah, very casual. I mean, Japan, again, if you haven't been to Japan, it's a very, it's a very trusting place. You know, it's a very safe place. You can kind of trust personal property. People respect that. There's, there's kind of low levels of theft com compared with other countries. And so, you know, there's not that need to, you know, hide it away in a case or even put it in a frame and often stuff. Oh my God. Do you, very I mean, casually do you sitting around. Much, uh... Do you remember how much I freaked out when we, we came down the steps at Miles, which I think we mentioned on the, uh, episode one, uh, Miles in Tokyo, owned by the old gal who, whose health was not good. When you come down these really steep, narrow stairs, um, and you got to lower your head because you're going to bang it on the ceiling, there's a gigantic <laughs> vintage poster of Miles Davis's 1974 Japan tour. That's right. Where he recorded uh, Agartha and Pangea, those the, the two records live in Osaka. And it's a Japanese language poster. So Miles Davis, his name is written in Japanese. And I was yeah. just like, if that old lady wasn't so sweet, I swear I would have stolen the poster right there. <laughs> you don't really maybe, mean maybe, that, do you? Maybe, maybe you need to edit that part out, but yeah. <laughs> um, I'm keeping it in. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, Kelly, my, my memory of it was just, I, I remember just looking at the photos too, there's a couple of seats in one of the pictures and I remember there's a couple of kind of classic salary men in there who were a bit bemused by us. I mean, Sendai was, you know, it's not, it's not a million miles from Tokyo, but you know, it's, it's kind of regional and I suppose, by that stage, we were going further afield to, to photograph and visit places. And I remember them kind of being kind of quite bemused by what we were doing there. The fact Yeah, I, th I think the fact that we the fact that we spoke Japanese, that we'd come up specifically to take these pictures. Yeah. They were just kind of. Uh, yeah. I mean, we've run into that quite a few times uh, by the customers, you know, like, wait, you're doing what? Like, how many places have you been to? And yeah. you came all the way up to Sendai just to come to this jazz bar. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. We were looking forward to it the whole night. But I remember the owner there. He was really friendly. He started to chat with us for quite a while. Yeah. Um, and they had that gorgeous little space out the back, uh, sort of at the back uh, with the table and the sort of top lit um, lamp uh, and yes. the piano tucked in there amazingly as well. So it was a nice <laughs> place. I mean, you know, you think kind of a hundreds is a special number. So I suppose we could have engineered it in such a way that maybe like the hundredth one was a different one. But again, you know, when we've gone further afield, what we're often tied by is, is time 
is by opening hours, is by, you know, like location or whether we're like staying over or whether we've got to get back to Tokyo and stuff like that. So I think whatever way, maybe I think we went to count earlier because I think we were really determined to see count properly. And I think we wanted to get it well uh, while it was relatively quiet. There wasn't so many customers. Do we want to just have a quick chat about count as well? Because it's, it's, it's one of the more probably more special places that we've been to, I think. Yeah, yeah, and Count is a it is a jazz cafe, but it opens through to the nighttime. And um, pretty much everyone that I've ever spoken to about going up to northern Japan, um, well, they always talk about Basie, which we discussed, but they also mentioned Count as just being sort of like the, the perfect example of what a Japanese jazz cafe is. And the owner in Count is just an unbelievable legend, because when we left the bar, I don't know if you remember, but I, I said to you like. I don't think that guy ever moved from his seat the whole hour and a half we were there. He just sat there smoking, not saying a word, yeah. looking cool. He's probably what, late 60s, early 70s. And um, when I mentioned that to a Japanese friend down here in Tokyo who goes around to the jazz kisuten just like we do, you know, he started laughing. He's like, that guy's looked like that for the last 30 years. He just, he never moves. He's just sitting there smoking and drinking whiskey all day long yeah. from like one in the afternoon until midnight. He's a very cool guy. I think we captured him in the photo, actually, on the website. We must have captured him in one of those rare moments of, of movement because I think he's turned around and he's changing the record. But he's changing. Yes, yes, that's right. That's right. But um, uh, you, you had a great uh, a picture of, uh, of me talking with that couple at the bar. Yeah. You remember them? And yeah, they yeah, were, yeah. They were kind of like us. Whenever they go around Japan, they visit different play <laughs> jazz spots. You that's know? right, yeah. Yeah, I got a nice email from them afterwards as well, which was a nice touch. They did they did uh, message say they looked at the site and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was. A, I mean, counts again. It's it's kind of a real classic place. Got a nice, really old, dusty kind of like worn wood feel to it. You know, huge record collection. Um, you I can know. see you can see the um, you can see the photos. It, it's funny because Kelly had that as well. Um, if you if if you look at the, the picks up on the site right now, you'll see in addition to the the jazz posters or the gig posters and the records, you'll always see a framed picture of the owner with some visiting jazz musician. I mean, That's how many right, times yeah. have we seen these pictures in so many different jazz spots? Yeah, where, yeah. And in this one, I think it's Count Basie uh, with the owner looking very young, like a, like a boy almost in a suit. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Going to pay to pay tribute to the great Count Basie. Well, yeah, thinking back to what you're saying there about um, the guy, the bar bird owner, having been to the Art Pepper gigs, because I think, um, and also the Kelly, you know, I think what's amazing when you get chatting to these guys, you realize that sort of in, in, the, in the real heyday of jazz tours in Japan in the 60s, particularly and, and the early 70s, you know, these guys were going, they weren't just going to Tokyo, as you would imagine, or, or Tokyo and Osaka. They were going to like every regional city and playing in these huge kind of prefectural concert halls that exist all over Japan. So I think for us, it's, it wasn't a case, you know, like, as it maybe nowadays would be where everyone would flock to Tokyo or flock to Osaka to see these gigs. These guys were like doing the whole country. <laughs> they were going to really far out regional cities, you know, to, to, to perform these concerts. And there was an appetite for it. People were, people were loving it, you know. And, and it seemed like the musicians, because you see these photos over and over again in these cafes and bars, the musicians would hang out with the local Japanese audience. You know, mm. it, wasn't, it wasn't like they would just fly in, do the gig and get back to their expensive hotel. They were actually hanging out and drinking and eating. And, and you see these pictures in every place. On a future episode, we'll go a little bit deeper into this topic when we talk about our trip to Guma to speak to uh, Negisa-san. Yeah. You know, because yeah, yeah. because he was one of those who was particularly involved in setting up these regional gigs, um, as was our man in Ray Brown. 
who we mentioned, yeah. I think, on, on the last episode. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, send, send, that, the trip to Sendai, it was interesting because Count would have seen, seemed to be more of like a, a place where you would be deliberately choosing to make it the 100th spot. But I like the fact that we just, I think we found Kelly uh, on the same day. I don't think that was on our list originally of places to go to. I think we found it as we were researching more on the way up to Sendai. It wasn't a priority target. So it's kind of cool that that, that came out as 100 because one of the themes of, I think, our project is is just that everywhere we've gone, they've told us about other places, you know, mm. places that maybe we have been, but other places we've never heard of. So our to-go list is still, uh, what have we got on there? I think last count that I did was 71 places we still have to go yeah. all around yeah. Japan. Fingers uh, crossed. Yeah, if you can get on a plane again soon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, the stumbling in some of these places, I mean, it, it, it's frustrating because in some ways, like there's other places that we've maybe wanted to go to and, and gone and, and thought maybe they, you know, didn't really fit the project any longer or um, they were simply closed or we couldn't get any information about them. Um, and then there's other, these kind of happy accidents like Kelly, where we maybe stumbled on these kind of places. And it just shows like, again, how sort of ubiquitous jazz is in Japan, because, you know, you would think in, in a city like Sendai, there, there might be one or two of these places, but actually there's four or five, six uh, different places that, you know, that are worth visiting and worth hanging out in. So it, it was a nice place, I think, to hit that, that 100. Um, and then, you know, I suppose it was a, up around 120 odd um, when, I, when I left Japan after a long time there um, in 2000, God, what is it now, 17, 2017, I think, in the, in the summer of 2017. And um, I actually went back then in 2018 and we, we did a trip. Um, part of it I did myself just because of various constraints and part of it we did together. And that's when we hit the 150, which I think really was probably still um at the moment anyway one of the most special experiences it had come off the back of a of a trip that we'd done the previous day in a car um no 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 jokes about my driving please um which by the way just for anyone listening is very good i mean i have a clean record um i had a couple of fines in japan but it wasn't for it wasn't for reckless driving um, and i believe the american phrase is road rage i'm not sure how you say that in no, no that's just that's so. just rage that's just general okay, rage but in a car it's, it's not <laughs> um anyway so yeah so we we'd, we'd gone to this place the previous we'd had a sort of a tip off the previous day i think got there um, had a very frustrating experience sort of wandering around. You'd called the owner who said that he just simply couldn't come back um, that day. And so he kind of promised that he'd be open the next day. And anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that particular trip in a different episode. But the, the sort of punchline is that we turned up, I think, around like 20 to 11 at night. And this um, was after, this was after, I mean, this is the fifth day on the road. We're, we're pretty tired. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the last spot, but it's, we've heard so much about the place. So we're, yep. we're just thinking like, we've, we've got to get there, man. We're flying out of Kyushu tomorrow. We got to get there. And I remember we're, we're driving, driving, driving. And this is a bit, it's a place. So Fukuoka is, is a major city in Southern Japan, you know, a couple million people. But uh, Coltrane, Coltrane is a jazz spot that's about 20 kilometers in a little town outside. So it's not easy to find. And it's just on this big road next to a soccer stadium. And yeah. so, you know, we're driving up and, you know, we see that it's, it's a gigantic house. I think it's a two or three story house. And it's painted a kind of, uh, uh, not green. like a forest green yeah. with, with a remarkable portrait of John Coltrane on the side of it. You can see the photo that, that Philip took 
um, um, right up on the website if you look under culture and culture. It's absolutely, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. It's like a mural that I've seen in Brooklyn when I was growing up. You know, people would put murals of like great figures from you know, New York history, you know, Malcolm X or whoever. And this is what it looked like, but on the side of a house in a rural town in Southern Japan. I mean, yeah. The, the, just the visual side of this building alone made my heart skip, you know, before we even entered. Yeah. And it's I was crazy. Like, okay, you you wonder what temple, you know, you wonder what people think, uh, you know, like living across the street and, and all around is very new kind of like classic Japanese apartment blocks. And it, the place is called, to I had a look through my notes. It was Tosu, T-O-S-U. Like, I mean, again, the sort of place that no one would have ever heard of, but um, unless you knew the area, but, Anyway, we turned up at, well, it was about 20 to 11. I think it was the ninth place that day. So it had really been a marathon. And uh, we weren't disappointed. I mean, we, we got there, um, came in, you know, bowing and scraping, very apologetic, very polite. And they were waiting for us, you know. They were, they were yeah. They were waiting for us. And right away, we realized, didn't you, didn't you realize right away that, like, number one, they were waiting for us. And number two, we weren't just going to have a quiet drink by ourselves. Like, he was going to give us a tour. Yeah. You know, so he yeah. he he prepared in his mind like, okay, I'm going to show these guys what they came to see. And yeah. what does he do? But he pulls out the first thing he does is he pulls out a gigantic loose leaf notebook. That's right. And it's just page after page of pictures of John Coltrane albums, all the official releases, and all the bootlegs. And I mean, he's got over 500 of these Coltrane. I mean, I was just like, it was hard for me not to spend the whole hour we were there just looking at this. Music yeah. notebook, you know, and, and it was kind of, I think uh, we mentioned this briefly in other episodes, but it was, he'd kind of worked it into a menu, hadn't he? So there, if I remember correctly, they were all handwritten like business cards and he, he had a little um, image of the album and then he'd had the track listing and the title and the recording dates next to it and all handwritten like you know, like, right. know 20 30 years ago you can see you can see a picture of some of them um, with some of the classic Coltrane uh, albums on Im Impulse in the uh, in the Coltrane Coltrane page on the website but yeah I mean just beautiful just the almost like the religious kind of um, reminds you of like monks you know sitting copying out like manuscripts you know by hand to create like a new copy i mean just absolutely beautiful and, and something that must have taken just hours and hours of his time you know and you can see you can see this you've got some really good pictures here i'm looking at them now Philip. i haven't looked at this uh, at this one these ones for a while they are fantastic um, they are fantastic you, you, right. you can you can <laughs> you can see his collection but you can also see how he has the little booth with the glass window right uh, the turntables are sort of separate in a, a little like enclosed room where he has more records yeah, because right. this 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 joint being outside Tokyo and even outside Fukuoka is more space. You know, this is a big house, so this is a much bigger room than most of the cafes we had been you know, right. kind of documenting up till now. So you can see all of his records, Coltrane and others, um, and then you can see um, behind the counter is just an incredible collection of dishware, mm -hmm. glasses, coffee mugs ashtrays teacups all of which have a picture of john coltrane on. yep are they for and, sale and i was immediately like okay i want to buy one of each of these <laughs> and you know i didn't care how much they were going to charge me you know and unbelievably she says oh you know uh we can't get these made anymore um the guy that made them whatever died, who knows? and uh sorry no i can't sell you any and i was just like what 
gutted. Kidding yeah. me? Gutted. And and I mean, I, I was just like, how can you have to? You've got like fifty teacups up there. Come on, just sell me one, please. And then they said, well, you know, what we do have some sweatshirts. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll take a sweatshirt. I'll have it. Yeah. And I, I still have it. I wear it at home when it's cold in the morning. I uh, do too, uh, actually. A beautiful, beautiful sweatshirt. And Philip, I never told you this, but I was on the train once and I took my coat off because it was too hot on the train. And I was wearing it. And the Japanese guy said to me, hey, John Coltrane. And as you know, in Japan, people do not talk to you on the train. But when it comes to jazz, you have these encounters sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And and so I said to him, you know, had you been to this place in, in, in Kyushu? He's like, no, but I've heard of this. You know, that's a famous place for John Coltrane fans. And I was like, well, it should be. Like you said, it's like a temple, you know? It's like, a, yeah, I mean, it's really like a museum. I mean, again, if you look on the, the Coltrane Coltrane page on the website, you can actually see, I mean, this, this is the case for quite a few of these. Um, you know, again, Jap Japan tends to regenerate every sort of 20, 30 years and buildings come and buildings go. And actually, if you look on the website, you can see a photograph of, a photograph of the old original Coltrane Coltrane from 83 to 1990. Um, so this place was obviously like a second iteration of, of the place, but I mean, what an iteration. I mean, down at the end, obviously, where the speakers uh, and the sound system is, is literally like a, a shrine. You know, it's got uh, Coltrane posters. It even has the dates of Coltrane's life um, handwritten on the wall. And we kind of wondered, didn't we, um, how this place hadn't made it into the Chasing the Train documentary? Yeah, that's right. And I, I don't remember exactly why. I, th I think it was just because, you know, when those guys came over to Japan, I, I know that they, they met Fujioka-san, the famous train, uh, the Japanese uh, collector, Fujioka-san, who writes about him and publishes a lot about all of the, the reissues. Um, in Japan, but I think that they just didn't have a chance to make it down to Kyushu. Either that or somebody, whoever their contact was, just didn't introduce them. But um, it seems almost impossible to think that, that you'd make a documentary about Coltrane and not come to this place. I mean, is there any, the only thing that compares to this is the Church of John Coltrane in San Francisco. Mm. I mean, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, you, I think you mentioned it to him and it kind of got like a quite short shrift. I think there was a kind of a slight I remember in the car afterwards, you mentioned that you'd sort of talked about this or mentioned Fujioka-san and there was definite, like a definite frostiness. So it may have been that he was, you know, who knows what the Coltrane politics are behind the scenes. It may have been that he got snubbed in some way or there was some, you know, kind of Possible. thing. Where... And, 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 you know, because uh, you lived here for so long and, and, you know, a lot of these people do know each other, but I mean... As we go in, we're speaking in Japanese, but we're still two, you know, noisy foreign dudes who are coming in to take pictures, right? Yeah. And they're not always going to let us into, it's just not the Japanese way to bring up, un, you know, uh, uncomfortable topics, so to speak, you know, if there was an issue going on. So there's things behind the scene that probably did happen, but, yeah. but it, was a pretty, it was a pretty glaring omission when you watch the documentary, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, what a way to finish that trip uh, that day. Uh, you know, what a what a wait uh, to go there, and uh, like, I mean, it just will always stand out in my memory. I mean, I think as well, and what, this has been interesting. You know, this was mentioned certainly in Germany in particular. You know, a lot of people when I showed the photos in Munich in January asking about female owners, and we'll probably talk about the owners in a separate episode specifically. But I think you know the owners of this place in particular, Coltrane, Coltrane, you know, they really um, had a classic Japanese couple vibe. You know, they, they both had their roles to play. They both knew what their jobs were. And, 100%, yet, it, and yeah. yet it was within this kind of like insane 
sort of like otaku coltrane collector's culture and you know she yeah. the wife um you know she's very friendly to us she spoke a little bit she she gave us uh coffee or whatever we ordered um and really amazingly and and happily for me like they agreed to pose for the portrait you know which you that's can one now, of my favorite pictures it's one of my favorite yeah. pictures of that 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 uh that you've taken on the on, on this whole adventure we've done they were absolutely gorgeous and it's funny because you mentioned that though that they um they very much fit the pattern though he's quite a bit older than she is and we've seen this in quite a lot of places we visited where the guy uh the old guy maybe not in the best of health anymore yeah you know yeah. And we've we've also visited places where the old guy is not even there anymore, and the wife yeah. has continued to run the establishment. Quite a few places, actually. Miles was like that. Uncle Tom, your old uh, neighborhood, right, was like yeah. that. Yeah, because he passed away quite a few years ago. Um, and that that'll lead us to another episode as well down the line where we talk about the future of these places. Because you know, like we talked about earlier with Bird, it was great that 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 the owner's son, that Bird, who grew up there, decided to take it over. Because if he didn't. Um, the place would have closed, you know, yeah. and, and all of the regular customers there would have had to find somewhere else. So, you know, I'm wondering about places like Coltrane, Coltrane, would, would she be able to run this on her own? Mm -hmm. Do we have kids? We didn't really have time to talk to them about that. Cause I usually do try to ask them about that too. You know, what are your plans for the next 10 years, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, hopefully um, when this situation passes, whether it's this year or next year, um, you get back to Japan, we go back down to Kyushu, we go to Coltrane, Coltrane, and, uh, you know, there's still a couple places that we didn't even get to visit. Uh, I, I seem to remember it was uh, Cinematheque in Saga Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. That we, we drove by, uh, but it seemed to be their day off. And also, was it, uh, was it Take 5, the one yeah, in Saga? It was Rondo as well, wasn't it? That was only oh, Rondo, that's yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's, so there's, there's still a lot of places that, um, you know, like I think like we said earlier, I, my last count, I had 71 uh, on our list of places yeah. to go. So, you know, there's still plenty to do. If you want to see the pictures of Coltrane, Coltrane, of course, www.tokyojazzjoints.com is the place. Um, you can see that portrait of the owner and his wife that we're talking about. An even better place to see that portrait is in the amazing Rhinoceros Bar in Berlin, which really, uh, I'd say, is the most sort of Japanese jazz style place that I've been to outside Japan. It's, it's got everything about the essence of a jazz kisa, jazz bar. Uh, it's got that whole shibui vibe and it is just a fantastic place to go um the owners um, benedict and uh, martina you know they absolutely love japan they love jazz uh they have great sound system great vinyl collection superb service and it's just a fantastic place to go and they very kindly bought the coltrane coltrane portrait um when it was exhibited there so um it's hanging up in the bar at the moment and who knows, perhaps um, that's what they'll look like in 30 years after they've run their jazz bar. Oh, anyway. definitely shout out to them. I can't wait to make it over to Berlin one day to, to hang out with them. It'd be great to visit a place, you know, after going to so many of these wonderful jazz spots here in Japan to, to go to one that has the same vibe, but to be in a completely different city like Berlin. You know? Yeah. So just to wrap up then, I suppose that the 160th place was the one that I mentioned at the start. So, this was at the end of my trip that I mentioned in 2018. Um, I think 40 was the number. So in that time, it was about three weeks, I think we covered uh, 40 new places and, and photographed them. And uh, 
about 10 or 15 of those are up on the website. Uh, I'm going to keep adding those over the next few months. Um, and the, the 40th place of that and the 160th place in total was a place called Rindo. And again, this was one of these places that sort of was just a name and we kind of heard about. It was on a few documents and things like that, but didn't know much about it. And unfortunately, this one I had to go to on my own. I, I was sort of just basically... Um, gallivanting around Japan at that point and uh, you were still working hard so um, it was on a weekday I think and I remember just taking one of these trains out to just sort of commuter Saitama just like flat very bland very featureless and, and sort of unimpressive towns that, that sort of populate large lots, lots of areas of Saitama and well, Americans think of going like uh, out of New York to like some you know regional town in New Jersey or yeah. Zone Seven outside of London. I mean, this is way out there. Way yeah, out. yeah. And I walked for like I remember I was conscious of getting back to Tokyo, and I was there was only like one train every hour, hour and a half that I that it, it was just felt so much further away than I had realized. And I walked in the sun um, for about twenty minutes to get to this place and found it, and it was open. And again, I mean, you know, sort of blinding sunshine, um, getting quite warm, um, suburban Saitama. And I went into this little place and it was like just walking into sort of like the jazz version of Narnia. I mean, it was up these tiny rickety <laughs> little stairs. And I went in and the guy was sat there. The owner was sat there. He was well gone by this point. He'd definitely been on, he'd had a few drinks already. And, you know, it was pitch black, you know, very dark inside, very old, very grimy. Again, beautifully laid out, nicely organized. He had like a whole shelf full of old jazz videotapes on VHS. He had books. He had pictures on the wall that he had drawn himself of, of um, jazz artists. And we just chatted. I mean, he was kind of baffled why I was there. He was just very bemused by the whole thing. Um, you know, and obviously he'd had a few drinks, which sort of eased his, you know, loosened his tongue a little bit. And we just chatted for a bit and I took some photos. I got a portrait of him really happily smoking a, a cigarette. And it was just, again, that feeling that we've had like time and time again of like, you cannot really imagine what this is like unless you experience it for yourself and I mean the photographs do maybe go some way to giving you a sense of what it's like in there but until you kind of go to these places and for me this was just and I remember coming out and calling you and being like oh my god you have to see this place like you've got to get up to this place and and I remember probably the dis my most distinct memory was at the end he was like oh you know thanks for coming I, I want to give you a present and I was looking around the walls and thinking, oh, he's going to give me one of his drawings of jazz musicians. This is going to be an amazing memento of this trip. And of course, in the end, what he actually gave me was like a, a, a glass kind of like peanut dish, like the sort, of, <laughs> the sort of dish you get like an ice cream sundae in. And he wrapped it very carefully in like newspaper, sort of, you know, forced it onto me in that, that way that only sort of drunken people can. And so I, you know, happily took this, took this glass peanut dish and got on my way back to the station and made my train back to Tokyo. And I mean, again, just, 
you know, 160, there's nothing special about that number, but it, it's the last place that I've had the opportunity to photograph um, as part and, of the And if, you, if, you, if, if, if our listeners out there look at the pictures of this place, and I distinctly remember being really jealous that you made it up there without me because I had heard about Rindo, and it's so far away from where I live in Yokohama. It's about probably two and a half hours. Um, so, but it's on my list of the first places to visit once this quarantine nonsense is done. Um, but please do, if you're listening out there, uh, go check out the pictures of Rindo and definitely take out, uh, take a look picture of the owner. Um, I mean, he's just gorgeous. He's fantastic. And that vibe, you know what I mean? It, it's funny you mentioned that because like we talked about, the more we go to these places and talk to the owners after 10, 15 minutes, they, they, they just open up and all the warmth yeah. comes out of them, yeah. you know, and, and you can just feel how much love and dedication they put into these little dinky shops in the middle of nowhere. And, and as you mentioned before, again, it, there's nothing like it. There's nowhere else in the world that has these shops devoted to jazz, you know? So it's just such a special thing. And um, I, I've often wondered about a place like Rindo though too, because it is so far out in the suburbs, you know, um, pretty much you just rely on the local customers only. I mean, when you went there, there was nobody in there at that time of day, right? No. And I mean, again, if you look, um, if you look at the exterior pics, like, you know, it's, it's this place and then just like a normal kind of suburban street. So mm. again, uh, you know, it's that kind of thing. I think that we've experienced in a lot of the places where it's really a waiting game. It's like once they, places like Garrow being another example, you know, like when they, when they finally come to, a point where they're closing for whatever the reason may be, you know, they're not going to be regenerated. They're not going to appear in a new iteration. They're just going to disappear forever. And, and there was a sort of a poignancy, I think, to Rindo because, you know, uh, it was the last place that I've had the opportunity to photograph, uh, of course, but also I think, you know, and it was the end of a long trip, but, but I think also, you know, from talking to that guy, it was very clear that he was starting to, to, you know, lose his sort of, um, mental acuity a little bit and you know he was kind of forgetful he asked me the same question a few times and you just thought you know like I mean who knows does this guy have any family does he have any kind of support network and it, it just made it really it made it sort of poignant because I think it brings home again this idea that we've enco encountered in so many of the places where there's owners that are basically getting older in some cases getting ill and really, there's no one to take over these places, or there's no interest. Yeah, when when we talk uh, in a future episode, when we talk about that, uh, we'll talk about uh, Jazz Pepe. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about the place up in uh, Hakodate. Um, a, a lot, a lot of a lot of it is is unfortunately and sad to talk about, but is the passing of the era and and how there's no one to take them over, and how a lot of these a lot of these people, you know, they've made their lives. Uh, around their shop and don't have anyone necessarily to, to take care of them as they get older when they retire. Yeah. So we'll cover all of that in, in subsequent shows for sure. Okay. Well, I think that's probably a good place to, to kind of wrap things up this week. Um, if you've enjoyed the podcast, like I said before, you know, please um, rate us, review us, um, give us comments and feedback, or if there's anything particular or any particular places that you'd like to hear about, Please, please, please go to the website and check out the photographs. There's 130 odd places on the website now. There's there's thousands of images. Uh, you know, if Japan's your thing, if jazz is your thing, if dusty, grimy bars are your thing, it's definitely the the project for you. And you know, while away a few hours as we're all sort of 
looking desperately for things to do to, to kill the time during this lockdown, which, which, as James said, hopefully won't last too much longer. Um, thanks for this week, James. It's, it's, it's so nice, not only just to be able to chat to you, but like to just to be able to have this time to actually kind of reminisce and like go over memories and, and, and refresh our memories about some of the places and experiences that we've had. So yeah, great to talk to you as always. Yeah, absolutely. I always look forward to it. I can't wait for next week. And um, like I said, I've got some, uh, I've got some Bushmills and a Hank Mobley record to get to. So um, I will log off here and we will chat again next week. Be you safe, enjoy, Brian. You enjoy it, man. Be safe yourself and, and talk okay. to you next week. Talk to you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you.